everybody. Welcome to the School of Happiness. This month, we are finding solutions to free our children from screen addiction. And today, I welcome Elaine Yuskowski, video game addiction expert, who is going to share her story, a few tips, and answer your questions. So, Elaine, thank you so much for accepting this offer uh, to come here and to speak to us about this subject that is um, definitely a big issue for some families. And um, would you like to tell us a bit more about uh, where you, how you ended up being uh, an expert in that category? Uh, by default. <laughs> and thank you for having me, Chantal. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I actually uh, had two sons who were uh, into early adulthood. And I was finding the transition between parenting your child and parenting your adult child more challenging than raising them. Uh, zero to 18, they fit into your life and that's easy. And then at 18, like a switch, uh, suddenly you have to take a step back and try to sort out how you fit into their life. And they're so busy sorting out who they are and where they want to go. And, and they're still growing mentally, emotionally, that you're the last thing they're thinking about. Uh, and so, you know, it wasn't that I was pining for them because I had a full life and I was happy that uh, they were pursuing things and uh, were off in university. Uh, but I just still wanted to be a part of their life in some, some sense. And I wasn't sure how to be, I wasn't sure what my role was. Was I mother? Was I advisor? Was I friend? Uh, mm -hmm. And so I spoke to other mothers and everyone had the same kind of feeling. Everyone said it was this strange limbo period where they felt like they were walking on ice. They weren't sure what they should ask or what they should say. Kids were a bit snappier, um, trying to assert their independence and so I decided I would write a book about that transition for me. And then maybe we could start an online forum and help parents go through this transition with more ease and at least with some support so we don't all feel alone. Yeah. And before I started to write the book, I got an SOS email from my 19-year-old son who was in second year university. And he, it turns out, had not been attending classes for two months, unbeknownst to me. Uh, he was uh, up all night gaming for 16 hours until he would literally pass out and then he would sleep all day and then he would start the process again and eventually the university caught up with him and realized he wasn't a registered student, he wasn't attending classes and he was given three days uh, to move or the doors would be locked. And so in shame, he reached out to tell me what was really going on. Um, and I had seen some signs that something wasn't right. And I had asked a lot of questions, but he kept giving me the standard, you know, university kind of answers. I'm up late with uh, assignments. I don't have time to eat. I don't have time to shower. I'm busy. The second year is harder than first year. And so those seemed like valid points to me, but inside my gut still said something wasn't right. Uh, so when I got the email, uh, although I was pretty shocked that he wasn't going to school, I really wasn't surprised at how he was spending his time, uh, but it did really concern me. So I picked up the phone after receiving the email and I said, what do you need? And he immediately burst into tears and said, I need you to tell me this is going to be okay. So I drove an hour uh, to the university to pick him up. And when he opened the door, I finally had to open my eyes. There was my six foot two inch son weighing in at 127 pounds. He was just bones. Uh, he had tremors, he had facial tics, he had 
large pustules that had broken out in his face. He had greasy hair and just smelled horrific. He literally looked like a street drug kid to me. Didn't look like my child, pale. um, And it just broke me to see him like that. So I brought him home. Uh, He was home for the next eight weeks. Um, He was detoxed on my request from the gaming. I took him to my fitness classes once he was on a day night sleep uh, schedule again, because I thought maybe the exercise would help elevate uh, his mood with the dopamine and put some weight on him, some muscle at least. I started feeding him better. Um, And I took him to the doctors, of course, and he was diagnosed with uh, extreme anxiety and depression. At that time, this was 2014, of course, the doctor didn't see the gaming as problematic as most doctors weren't at that time. Uh, There were not a lot of people talking about video gaming addiction then, so I felt extremely alone and isolated in my situation. Um, And so he did get to see a counselor. The doctor wanted to medicate him for the depression, and at 19, he said no. It was his decision. Uh, He said, my mother's in holistic health. She will take care of that part, which I did, uh, but I insisted that he have some counseling. Of course, he manipulated the counselor because he was still in denial about the addiction. Uh, and he returned for second semester of second year to pick up the three credits that we learned that he had actually failed in first year and hadn't told us about. So rather than lose two full years, he decided to go back and pick up those credits. And one week in, I started to get the same feeling again, went back to the university to check on him, and he had completely relapsed again, had not attended a class all week, was back to gaming. He believed with eight weeks of counseling under his belt that he could game for just an hour, much like a drug addict would think Mm -hmm. they can, or an alcoholic thinks they can have one drink or one hit. And of course, he gamed all night again, all week. So I brought him home again. And... uh, We had a long talk about what his concerns were with his anxiety, his depression, with his course. I asked him, do you still want to go to university? We can, you know, come up with a different plan. You don't have to do this degree. Um, And he said, no, no, I I really want to get my degree and um, and I, I want to work at this. And so again, I said, what do you need? And he thought about it and he said, I need you to drive me to school and walk me to class until I can do it on my own. And so there I was walking and driving my 19-year-old son to university, (laughs) trying to fit in and look like a student myself, uh, so not to embarrass him. Um, And so started the process of many uh, relapses and starting again, relapse, starting again, uh, and getting him through school. Um, That took a process of two and a half more years before he finally said, yes, this is problematic and I have an addiction and committed to uh, quitting. That was the summer before his last year of university. Uh, We moved him in with us. We actually moved to the city where his university was. We downsized and moved so he could live with us in his last year. Uh, We could get him through with success. And uh, so he is uh, three and a half years fully detoxed now. He's completed his university degree and is working for a software company and is living on his own in Toronto. And he's very, very happy and very healthy. I'm so glad to hear that there is a good ending to that story. Yes, Yes, it was a success story. Now, that doesn't mean it's, you know, it's over because there's, of course, no 
you know, end date to recovery. It's an ongoing process and we have a recovery plan in place at all times for him. He knows that he has family to support him when he's in trouble. He will ask for help when he does feel that he's struggling. He has come home a few times during the pandemic because it was very lonely working from his apartment by himself. And he did start to feel a bit antsy and did want to game. And so he, he does reach out for help and ask. Uh, and so you always have to have an ongoing recovery plan once, you know, there's no date where we can say it's over and he's once an addict, always an addict. So, so it's ongoing. Exactly. But I, I, I did like the part where it sounded like when it actually came from him, then it made a difference, right? It, yes. Like, okay, it so absolutely. Now... Yes. That does make the difference when it comes from them. So I, to answer your question, I then um, uh, published my book, my yeah. parenting book on the transition. Yeah. I decided I would include the story of addiction in the book. At the end of the book, there's no resolution. He's still in denial. We're still struggling. Yeah. Uh, but that part of the book seemed to capture attention. And uh, somebody who was organizing a mental health forum at a local university had read the book and contacted me and said, no one is speaking about this and we would really love it if you could come and talk about the subject. Yeah. So they asked for an hour's presentation with PowerPoint. <laughs> so I was pretty green at the time. I didn't know a lot of people in the industry. I had to start <laughs> really researching to prepare for that. Uh, but somebody from the Center for Addiction uh, in Toronto um, and someone from the Catholic School Board in Toronto was in the audience and they approached me afterwards and then I was just launched into this speaking career. Just my holistic health um, business took a big turn. Uh, I started speaking at large forums, mental health forums. I started speaking in schools uh, mm -hmm. and then... Um, parents started to ask me if I would coach, consider coaching uh, because of my lived experience. Yeah. So I, this past summer, did the Intenta clinical training for gaming disorder uh, and I started to coach. And uh, during the pandemic decided I would, I would write a book about not the transition, but an actual video gaming uh, addiction book. And yeah. because my son was home, uh, he allowed me to interview him several times. Uh, I, of course, by now I know lots of experts. So I called upon my expert friends and asked them to contribute to the book. And so I tell the story uh, throughout the weaving through the nine signs of addiction and the five stages, um, uh, which is Dr. DiClemente's work. And, um, and then I go into the second half of the book is the recovery process. And you really get a good inside look at the mind of the video gamer. My son was very candid, very insightful. He held nothing back. Um, and uh, and then I gave him the last chapters to, to, to write his final thoughts, so yeah. To, to, for him to write the last chapter, that's nice. Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, he bought his copy of the book and immediately went and re read the last chapter and didn't read any of the rest of it. <laughs> He wanted to remember what he'd said. <laughs> <laughs> so um, is there any of those nine points that you could share with us so that if there are parents that are worried that they're, I mean, knowing that their kids are playing games, but worried that it might lead 
their kids towards that path of addiction. What would you recommend as like looking at the first uh, early signs of like, oh, that's a red flag? Is there any recommendation? I would say the earliest sign is uh, temper tantrums or volatile episodes when you try to remove gaming. Uh, if they can't handle uh, having it taken away, that's probably a first telltale sign. Um, any issues with um, depression, if you see changes with your child and they don't seem as happy, uh, that will be a, a cue. That may actually be what creates the addiction in the first place, uh, because a lot of kids use gaming as a place to escape. Uh, bullying at school, a lot of kids, which is what happened to my son, uh, he went online to find a community where he felt accepted and he wasn't bullied. Uh, the problem with that is a lot of the kids that he was uh, online with were also being bullied and also had their own emotional issues. So that wasn't really solving the problem, but it was helping him escape. Uh, kids who are not achieving uh, at school or in life the way they want to um, will often revert to video games so that they can get that sense of achievement because there's no risk. It's very easy. If your player loses, it's great. You just start again. Um, you, don't, you know, you're not failing a class. You're not losing a job. You're not losing a relationship. So it's a really no risk playground where you can feel like you're real, real smart. And, yeah. um, and when they've started to give up other activities outside of gaming. So if you had a child who played video games, but also had a pretty well-rounded life and they were involved in, you know, maybe piano lessons or sports or the arts of some sort, and then suddenly, um, they're no longer interested in any of those. Uh, I would be looking at that as a sign. Up late at night, big sign, because uh, a lot of, and not being able to get up early in the morning um, yeah. and getting to school, wanting to take their meals in front of their computer or their console. Yeah, those are all signs to look for. Um, lying, uh, stealing money, credit cards to purchase items on the game also can be a signs of um, a gambling addiction as well as a video gaming addiction. Wow, yeah, it can go in really, really many directions indeed. Um, I have a question from Barb, who's uh, wanting to know if you could share some of the therapies that, he, that worked for your son to help with his recovery. So he did not actually have any video gaming addiction or any kind of addiction therapy. Uh, it wasn't available in our area. Um, and because he was in denial about having an addiction, he wasn't willing to have addiction therapy. He did the eight weeks with the original therapist, which, uh, you know, went nowhere because he manipulated him. Uh, yes. when I took him back for second semester of second year, um, after that initial relapse, I took him to student services and I explained the situation to them. I told them what happened. Uh, they gave him a counselor, they gave him a special needs advisor uh, because of the anxiety and depression uh, and a peer support person. So that ended up being some of his therapy. Uh, and so he, um, he worked through the self-esteem and the low yeah. confidence issues, not the addiction issues with the therapist. And really just looking at what the core issues were was pretty helpful. Um, and of course he and I did a lot of talking a lot because we were driving back and forth, uh, quite a bit to his school and it was an hour there and an hour back. Um, and so some of that was his therapy. Uh, also he said, he still maintains today that exercise was probably his greatest friend and still is. Yeah. 
Yeah, no kidding. I have another question that was actually sent to from someone who cannot attend. Um, she has a child who throws a tantrum. Tantrum, sorry. It's not a video gaming, but I know that you have extended uh, also in helping people with any addiction to screens, right? Yes. Um, so her child, she's saying, throws a tantrum each time I try to take his iPad away. <laughs> it's actually not his iPad, but she say her iPad, but she's lending the iPad and then he throws a tantrum. It's, uh, she's, she's asking if there is any recommendation. What is the age of the child? She doesn't mention she didn't mention and I didn't ask. Uh, I'm not sure. Right. Well, if if the ch it depends on what they're doing on the on the tablet. So if he's uh -huh. playing a video game, to just remove it in the middle of a game can be very uh, upsetting for the gamer because uh -huh. they often play on teams. And yeah. so if you're suddenly removed from the game, that will affect the points and the score and whatever game you're playing. And that can lead to a lot of bullying online because now you've messed it up for the team. They might kick you out. You, you may not be able to play again. Um, and also it's just frustrating to let your team down. So I often say to parents that you need to give them a warning first that they're going to, you're going to remove it, but with a time span. So maybe 10 minutes time and then sit with your child and start talking to them just a little bit before they come off the game to sort of help them with that transition between gaming and getting back out into a world outside of virtual. For sure, for sure. Um, okay, then I have, would you say, would you say the talking during your drives provided the self-reflection he needed to see how he could empower himself? Yeah, yeah, during those, those drives, it was mostly me listening. Um, and just sort of, you know, active listening. So I would repeat what he's saying to me so that he could continue to reflect. Sometimes he would cry on those, on those drives. Um, we actually watched some Super Soul Sundays together mm -hmm. because I was watching them and a couple really resonated with me. And I asked him to watch, uh, there was one where it was, um, uh, he was raised in the Kennedy family. He was, um, oh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, uh, he was speaking to um, Oprah about the fact that as a Kennedy, they were never allowed to mourn the losses of those who were assassinated, those who died tragically, that wow. they, were, they were told in the family, stiff upper lip, you were born of privilege and it is your job to give back to the world, not to mourn. And, uh, and he said it wasn't until much later in life uh, that he realized that without being able to mourn, he never felt fully alive. And so oh. once he was able to give himself permission to mourn the losses, he felt, and so he named his book Fully Alive. Sorry, I can't think of the author. Uh, Timothy Shriver. Yeah, it was um, Timothy Shriver's the author. And so I asked uh, my son to, if he was interested in watching it with me because I thought there was something in it that, right? And mm -hmm. so he, he cried while he watched it. And then he got in the car and we headed to university and he said, watching uh, that show made me realize that I have not mourned the death of my grandpa, which he hadn't. I remember when he lost him at 10, he wouldn't talk about it. He put up his hand mm -hmm. and said, don't talk about mm -hmm. grandpa. And he said, and I haven't, I haven't mourned the loss of my little dog that he'd lost, I think two or three years before that. And he said, if I don't start 
learning how to mourn that loss, I'm going to feel the same way, never fully alive. Uh, so we had those kinds of reflective conversations. And I don't know if it was something the universe sent or what happened, uh, but the following week, uh, somebody in the gaming world uh, tragically passed very young. I write about it in my first book, actually. He was in his 30s. And Jake was traumatized by the loss and said he literally spent two days in his dorm room crying and crying and crying. Wow. And to me, that was just the floodgates that were already there waiting. That yeah. was the opening. And that yeah. really helped that he was able to um, come to terms with how he was feeling emotionally and, and share that. So would you, would you say that in general, uh, when you're coaching parents and you see all those uh, different family situations, that the most important is indeed to find what is the core issue that is not resolved that pushes yes. them in the first place. Yeah. What would would you would you say with your experience now that there is, uh, let's say, a group of or type of core issue that comes back a lot? I would say they're all different. Sometimes it can be uh -huh. a trauma that happened in the family. Sometimes it's a trauma that happened at school. Sometimes it's something that happened in sports. Uh, didn't make the team, didn't, you know, didn't make the cut. And then wh who am I if I'm not the all-star athlete this year? Yeah. Um, divorce situations can create some trauma. Um, parents not getting along in the house, even if they're not divorced, can create some trauma. Uh, I would say that health issues also can be traumatic for children. They don't have the support. So I'm seeing all kinds of different, and I generally see older teenagers and adults uh, because of my experience, of course. And that's generally, you know, the average age of the addict is 18 to 25, the true video gaming uh, addicts. Now, your, your child can still have problematic gaming and not be addicted yet. So I will still, you know, coach parents who think it's in the problematic area before it gets to addiction. But let's nip it in the bud now and, and, and find out what the core issue is. Uh, most of my coaching is usually uh, finding why the child is hungering for this connection and this community online, what's missing in their life and what's missing in family that's not there. So if they're not feeling connected and, or, or close in the family, how can we you know, just draw them out of their room and get them to eat at the table with you or yeah. get them to do some household chores, right? Just we slowly sort of draw them out of the room and, and then we work on the communication issues. Because what I find is parents are so frustrated they don't know what to do. Um, and so they end up uh, creating a battlefield in the home. And instead of focusing on the child, they end up focusing on the problem. And when you, you focus on the addiction, you tend to forget that there's a person behind the addiction. And you know, when I was dealing with it with my son, I, I just chose not to be angry about it because I knew he wanted to make me proud like any child wants to make their parent proud his idea wasn't to be six foot two and 127 pounds locked in a residence greasy haired and smelly and trembling and addicted I knew that's not what he wanted uh, and so I just thought I need to approach this with as much compassion as possible and so that he trusts me to share uh, and then we can work through whatever that that core issue is or at least find somebody else that can help him with that 
Yeah, actually, that kind of, uh, the few points that you shared uh, right now would actually nearly answer. I think I have a question from Vesna. Um, how do you recreate a connection with your child? So I just summarize her question. Um, I think he's 13, if I remember from, I just summarized the question. I think he's 13 or 14 and uh, he just started and it, it seems like a, he's changed already attitude and she's, she's starting to feel that the connection is getting lost. And so that was, and, and you've kind of answered a little bit uh, around well, that. Well, and too. part of that is he's 13 and that is an age where children are, are not as parent oriented. They become more peer oriented because yes. they think we're old and we don't get them and our, their peers <laughs> get them. So they definitely become more peer oriented. However, if they, if they're not, they don't have a good solid connection to begin with, with parents, mm. you don't want them straying into peer orientation too early. You want to still try to pull them back and make sure that that connection is really close. But also, you know, you do have to let them have a little bit of space when they're, they're going into the teens so that they can figure out who they are as well. Um, but if you're having disrespectful communication issues, then it's time to step it up and um, and create some boundaries and rules around gaming. Yeah, for sure. And how is he? Uh, has he been talking about installing? Because of course, for you, the, the the situation was that he was most of the time he wasn't at home, so you couldn't see the whole thing going on. Right. But for parents who still have the children, like at thirteen or fourteen years old, of course, they're still at home. Um, what what kind of rules? Could you say that you can uh, put in place like and how easy is that to do with kids of that age it's very easy to do with kids at that age it's more difficult when they're 18 and 19 years old so i say mm. do it while they're 13. Um, but you must follow through you can't be wishy-washy you can't say here's the rule and then you break the rule um, mm. i would say first of all if you have a gaming console or if your child's playing on a tablet or a laptop or a PC, not in their bedroom, not in the basement, up in a central location where it can be supervised and monitored. It should never be a secret activity that your child is doing behind a closed door. I like that. I've never thought about this. That is huge. It's yeah. difference. Yes, big difference. Uh, you'll have far more control. Um, no meals at consoles or computers, meals are to be eaten at the table with the family together. Yeah. Uh, no um, digital devices in the bedroom at night. So no cell phones going into the bedroom. Uh, if you need an alarm clock, Walmart sells them very cheap. Um, uh, you should use an alarm clock. I never take my phone to my bedroom ever. Uh, and I have kids who don't live with me and I still survive somehow. Um, cause I hear that from parents, you know, my child's driving. I need to have my phone by my bed. No, you don't actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> <That's true>. uh, yeah. <laughs> you'll survive. Um, I would say also that you can create rules around homework first before gaming time and make sure they're doing chores in the house. They're setting the table. They're doing some dinner prep. They're cleaning up. Uh, they're helping with laundry. They're keeping their rooms clean. Um, and so you can use those kinds of lists and also have a list of break times versus chore time and school time. So when your kid comes and says, I need a break from this, you can say, go to the list and choose one that's non-screen related. 
So that means stepping out and doing something physical or doing an art project or doing something that doesn't require a screen. Yeah. So have, and make sure your children are eating well, they're getting good sleep and that they're getting physical exercise. Yeah, this, this is another thing that, that came up. Uh, I was just talking with someone else about the, the fact that actually the opposite happens sometimes um, than, than with your son who was forgetting to eat basically. But others, because of lack of exercise, depending on your metabolism, would react in a different way and put oh, yeah. on weight. So yes, there's lots of children that are overweight because they're eating junk food at the console. Yeah. I have I have coached parents who are literally bringing the food to their children at their consoles, yeah. and they're buying the garbage food. And I say, stop buying it. Stop buying it. Make them step out of their room. Well, I'm afraid he won't eat. He'll eat if he's hungry. He'll come out, uh, and require them to do their grooming because that's one of the first things that slides is the grooming. I've had children who are like literally messing their pants in front of their console because they don't want to go to the bathroom. There's children who are wearing diapers so that they can urinate while they're um, and not have to leave their game. No uh, energy drinks, keep the energy mm. drinks out of the house because kids will use those to stay up and stay online later. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's terrible for sure, yeah. Um, listen, I want to see if I have any questions. I know there was someone who wanted to ask a question. Let's see. Uh, was she? Uh, I'm going to close this maybe. Okay. Uh, Rosella, I know you can hear me because you're online. Uh, oh, hang on. I have, I have someone else before, before we come something. Do you have any experience about how the games reprogram behavior? I know children have become more aggressive from violent screen exposure, says Christine. I actually don't believe that violence on the screen creates violent behavior with children and none of the research okay. backs that theory up. Okay. Both my children played uh, single player, sh single shooting combat type games. My sons are, they're 29 and 25 now, and they're the two of the kindest, most gentle men you'd ever want to meet. Not, neither of them became violent because of playing violent games. I mean, my brothers grew up watching, you know, gun Westerns, uh, and they didn't become violent people either. Uh, have conversations with your kids always, which I did with my sons about the fact that that violence on the screen is not real um, and that it's just uh, make-believe fantasy. If there's anger happening and violence happening as a result of the game, there's something else that you need to look at, something more going on um, because of that aggression. Now, in terms of change, they have discovered that uh, excessive playing does change the brain neurologically, especially mm. the frontal lobe of the brain, and it can mimic or exacerbate neurological disorders such as OCD, anxiety, depression, and ADHD. Mm. And so when my son was diagnosed uh, at his worst crises, uh, the doctor has suggested that he had ADHD as well as uh, high anxiety and depression which I'd said I had him tested when he was young and that didn't mm -hmm. show up. So why is it showing up at 19? Um, but he was exhibiting symptoms for sure. And so, mm -hmm. so we did treat it. We treated it with natural remedies and uh, it, it got better. And then when he completely detoxed, he didn't need anything for it. The, the anxiety was much 
uh, more manageable, the depression was gone. Uh, so detoxing, we did see changes back to a healthy brain. Mm -hmm. um, that leads me to a question that I have regarding um, younger children um, and maybe not video gaming. Um, I have myself an experience with a children that I was looking after and the child was four coming towards five. And it was to do with uh, watching something called Ninjago. And um, it was a mix of cartoon or animation or this type of thing. I wasn't really watching this kind of thing, but he was. And so what I found with this kind of age of children is that they are playing out in real life what they've experienced on the screen. And so this was also a very gentle uh, boy, but um, when he had watched this type of thing at the weekend and I would come and I would look after a bunch of kids and he was one of them, he was different because the whole time he was playing out, like he was naming, so I knew he was from Ninja Go. And he would be, I don't wanna say aggressive, for him, he probably wasn't aggressive, he was just, playing in the same way that, that those heroes were playing, you know, in, in the story. So I get that. But um, I'm just thinking, don't you think that maybe with um, the, the way the brain develops and the way that children process their daily, what they see during their day, depending on the age, it could have like a different um, result? I think if you're not having conversations with your children about it, it can certainly desensitize them to, the, to violence. But if you've got you know, a, a group of children in a room who've all watched those kinds of shows and then only one is reacting, then I would be asking where that aggression's coming from. Mm. Right? I don't think it's necessarily coming from watching the show. There's already a, a, a built-in frustration or aggression there and he's uh -huh. just manifesting it. Interesting. That, that's, that's very enlightening for me because I hadn't thought about that part, that it would come from somewhere else. Right. Interesting. So even though he would be like gentle during the rest of the day and after watching the cartoon, he would play out and being a little bit more violent. It's because maybe deep inside there was a frustration or something that was not expressed in another way that was allowed to express itself through that. Right. Possibly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, thank you, Elaine. I'm just gonna see this and I'm going to ask this time if nobody else is uh, asking a question. So uh, Rosella, I know that you or your friend wanted to ask something. There was some kind of issue. You're still here. I can make you uh, unmute at least so you can tell us. Unmute. Yeah, yeah. Here I am. I don't know if you can hear me. Ah, yes, I can yes. hear you. We can, Rosella. We can hear you. It's a, it's a question on behalf of friends. You, you're breaking um, up a bit, Rosella. There's uh, this eight lately very to the Wi Fi. Just wait a second. Be patient. All the way from Italy, so that must be why. <laughs> okay, hopefully we don't lose you completely. I'm, I'm here. I don't know if you can hear me. 
We yes. were hearing you, but it, it gets broken up. Okay. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I, I, I was on my uh, data, so I don't know if with the, with the Wi-Fi it sounds better. Yeah, I can hear you bit. now. Yeah. Okay. So I was saying that um, it's a question on behalf of friend because uh, I have a two-year-old boy, so fortunately is not one of the <laughs> the ones you are talking about like a phone with the diaper but you know my parents tried <laughs> this with him but fortunately we stopped immediately but it's more, m mostly like, mainly about a eight-year-old boy that is now into tv a lot uh, so it's a different screen than your your child your your son I heard about the story at the beginning and it's really touching. So we were like trying to understand what's going on in his brain a while ago and trying to like, you know, get in touch and try to give him an alternative that it might stimulate him in a different way so he can leave the screen by himself and like dedicate to something else. But I, I, I personally can't enter in that I can't um, understand him deeply so I don't know to be honest I'm not sure what the question is but well at any cases like about the tv addiction or any um, general solution that we might try with him um, or I don't know like something like what kind of approach uh, you might suggest in a situation like this? I, I would suggest turning the television off. <laughs> well, for sure. <laughs> but... And finding some other activities. And I know a lot of parents will say, you know, I took it away from them and then they, they weren't interested in anything else. So I gave it back to them in five days. Well, you need to give them time. Uh, eventually, they're going to become so bored, they will look for other activities to do. Um, so I would be taking some the screen time away uh, and introducing him to things away from screen until he finds something that he enjoys or is interested enough. Uh, but also uh, children who tend to um, gravitate towards screen can sometimes have eye tracking issues. Uh, and so in that case, you would not you would take him to a vision therapist, an optometrist who specializes in vision therapy. Uh, because mm -hmm. it, because he may be having difficulty seeing things at a closer range um, mm -hmm. and reading may be difficult because of an eye tracking issue. And so he's gravitating towards a computer, uh, the, the TV screen because it's easier. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the case, so yeah. It's a, it's a case? Yeah, it's it's, case. he has problem with his eyes. Yeah, it's like he, he's, I don't know how to call it in English, but he has a, a very... It is a disabled basically it has a disability with his eyes so it mm. fits the description that you you just gave yeah i would have i would you would need to see an optometrist that specializes in eye in vision therapy so it's not about 2020 it's about the way his eyes are tracking yeah okay thank you so much thank, thank you for you your question um i have another question which is to do with um your opinion with what would be um, even like a, as a prevention, if let's say there is no no gaming yet, no video game yet in the house, and then uh, let's say your eleven year old kid um, uh, 
comes to you and say, hey, all my friends are playing whatever games, Minecraft is one that is very famous. Um, and I want, I want, I want, I want to do that. Um, would you, would you recommend to go yes or well, let's discuss. So what would be your attitude at this point, like as a prevention before they even go into any of this? So if you're going to allow it, uh, your prevention will be in uh, sitting with your child and seeing what the game is all about. First of all, mm -hmm. um, don't just let your child play a game, you know, nothing about Mm -hmm. um, find out who they're playing with, make sure there's no, you know, toxic environment, no abuse, no bullying going on online, because that can happen very yeah. easily. Yeah. Um, and what you want to watch for is, you know, a child will gravitate towards playing video games for the benefits of it. Uh, the, the escape into the story, um, the, the learning how to be a team player, uh, the micro and mini trans, um, macro transactions that you'll learn, uh, hand-eye coordination, problem solving. Uh, so you want to talk to them while they're playing and you can say things like, wow, that looked like a really hard challenge. Tell me how you did that. Tell me how you figured that out. If your child has no idea how they figured it out, that they're not really engaged in that way, that they're mm -hmm. just using it to escape and they're just using it to make friends, then you need then you need to be watching for problems. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So the, the way you just spoke now sounds like you're not you're basically you're not against video gaming, right? Gosh, no, no. I mean, uh, nine percent of the population are addicted, which means ninety two percent of the population are having a great time playing great video time. games. Yeah, no, I, I have both my sons played. Uh, one still does. My 29 year old still he still plays games. His wife still plays uh, games with him. Uh, neither of them are addicted. They have very full lives outside of gaming. Uh, my younger son just happens to be addicted and, and cannot play. Now, addicted players don't necessarily have to completely detox and walk away from gaming. There are some addicted players who can learn uh, harm reduction and they can manage small amounts of time because it is a behavioral addiction, no different than a food addiction or a gambling addiction or a sex addiction, uh, in which case you would have a bottom line, a, a sort of a baseline that you would follow. Uh, and then if you step outside of that baseline, so say your baseline is I allow myself to play for two hours a day, three times a week. And then if you start stepping outside of that baseline, then, you know, back into therapy to see, well, what was the problem? What triggered you to start doing it more? Uh, no different than you would if you had a food addiction and you are following Weight Watchers or maybe you're staying away from trigger foods or you're counting calories. Uh, if you have a sex addiction, uh, you might agree that you're only going to have sex three times a week and only with your partner that you're married to. Uh, and then if you stray outside of those, uh, those baselines, then you have to question, you know, what was the trigger? What's going on? Go yes. back into therapy. Um, so not every addicted gamer has to completely fully detox. My son did try harm reduction. It did not work for him. Mm. Uh, he just knows he cannot he cannot pick up a, a console or, or um, a start playing again. He just can't control it. Well, at least he's aware of it. And that's, that's very huge. aware. At least, at least he's getting his power back in that way. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he God said recently, that. he said recently he picked up a handheld console uh, and he said he had to put it down immediately. It just felt awful wow. to even hold it in his hands. He just, it did wow. not make him feel good. Yeah. yeah. So he, what he did was stopped 
the online multiplayer games first because he thought that was the problematic area. Mm-hmm. And then he only played console games. And then he found himself one weekend, 48 hours later, still sitting on the sofa playing a console game and had the awareness to realize this is addictive too. So then he decided, well, the safest thing to do for him would just be play games on his phone. So he started playing games late at night on his phone where he didn't want anyone knowing. He'd do it in secret. Uh, And he was living he was living with his brother at that time because he had a summer job with the software company um, that was in his brother's neighborhood. And he said he realized that he wasn't waking up in the morning because he would fall asleep with the game still running in his hand and his battery would run out and then his alarm didn't go off. And so he realized if he didn't stop playing phone games, he could lose a job. So he recognized that gaming was just getting in the way of him moving forward. And he's decided that he'd rather have his health and happiness than to play games. He misses playing still. He still misses playing, loves video games. Has he ever found something to replace this uh, gaming online? Oh, lots, lots, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, he gets together with friends. He's very, very social. He snowboards. Uh, He's taking piano lessons. He's actually trying to teach himself to play piano. He plays uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which is not an online. uh, It's a role-playing game. He gets together with friends to play. (laughs) For a while, he was playing Magic the Gathering, and he was getting together with friends to play that. He plays tennis. yeah, no, he's very active, very busy. He does fitness. Yeah, he's found lots of things to replace it. Good. He's an artist. He, he practices art. Uh, he's a bit of a writer, so he dabbles in that. Yeah, he's he's found lots of different activities. And he was already doing lots of activities. He had a very well-rounded life as a kid, and he traveled a lot. Uh, but then he just got zoned in on just gaming. Yeah. And that's the what beautiful thing is he had something to go back to. when he left the gaming. The problem today, uh, and what therapists are saying, is that they tell kids, well, go back to what you were doing before you were addicted to video games. And a lot of kids are saying, I've never done anything else. That's all I've ever done. And so that's why I suggest to parents that you make sure your kids are, you know, have lots of other activities that are outside of screen. Absolutely. No, I agree. I agree. Yes, that, that's huge because otherwise it feels like that was the center of their world, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. definitely you cannot take that. <laughs> and that's very difficult now because we're in a pandemic. A lot mm-hmm. of kids, that's all they have is their oh, screen gosh. time. So they're on screens with teachers all day and then they want to be with their friends. Oh, and yeah. so it's, it's making it very, very challenging. What, yeah. what I'm looking at now, I just wrote a blog about this, is what's it going to look like when the pandemic is over? Are we all going to be so hungry to be with people that we put our screens down for a while? And I say to parents, that's a great time to start having conversations around yeah. how you want screen time to look post-pandemic. Let's yes. start putting those rules and boundaries in place beforehand so kids know what to expect when the pandemic finishes. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And hopefully the family situation is harmonious enough that there is enough clear communication between parents and children to have right. this conversation in the first right. place. That's to right. be hoped. <laughs> yes, yes, that's a very good advice. Yeah, that's a good point because nobody really knows where we're going. And and for sure right now, it's like, okay, so that would be something to consider for sure. 
Right. Yes, yes. Uh, let me just check if there is uh, anybody. So if there is anybody else who wants to either type a question or I, I had other questions written, but you've already answered them in, in a way. So I'm not going to go back into reading this. So that's all I had in written that people sent me. Um, anybody who's on the call uh, would like to ask anything to Elaine? And if you do, you just um, go to your bottom left corner and then type unmute. If you have any question. And if you want to even join with the camera, that's also allowed. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see the audience. Yeah, we can see uh, faces too. <laughs> I see mm, two. All right, so anybody, just, just unmute yourself or your camera and then come on if you want to ask anything at all. <laughs> Don't be shy. <laughs> Maybe we've answered all their questions. But, I mean, you, you were, yes, you've been very helpful and very thorough for sure, yes. <laughs> all right, how do we do like, you know, the judge on the count of three, on the count of two? <laughs> Uh, Bob, did you want to ask something? Uh, no, I was just uh, <clears throat> trying to say goodbyes or whatever. I was trying to find my uh, camera on here and it's not showing. I'm still looking. It's okay. the bottom left. I, It'll I be can... next to the mute. Oh, there the it is. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, you can see, come I, had, I had minimized it. It wasn't showing anymore. So there it is. <laughs> there sure. you are. I, I just wanted to say hello and thank you. Hello, Barb. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Oh, absolutely. It was very, very interesting and so many good points to take from this. And I'm going to share them with uh, both of my daughters. In fact, uh, one of my daughters has a son. He is 15 and she has been concerned because she's caught him up at night when he's supposed to be sleeping. So this is uh, this is such a valuable uh, interview. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe you want to let her know about my book. Yes, I will. I wrote, I wrote it down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. when, when is it coming out, Elaine? Oh, it's out. Oh, it's out already. Well, oh, let's have a look. Yes. It oh, is out. Wonderful. Yeah, it came out on February 5th. I'll put, I'll make sure I'll put the link. Is it, is it, uh, where is it available? Amazon. Amazon. Perfect. And so we'll, we'll also share uh, your website because, of course, as a coach, uh, maybe those who couldn't join on the, on the call uh, might be interested in getting a bit more in depth with whatever situation they're going through at home with you. So since you are doing um, not only coaching, but if there are any schools, although I don't know if you are you because of the pandemic, are you still doing a lot of speaking around or? I haven't been doing any speaking through the pandemic, but I've just been okay. recently asked to start doing some online speaking. So yeah, yeah, next week, next week I start the speaking online circuit. Yeah. I mean, we don't have any choice. I think people waited and waited as long as they could. And now they're realizing that this is going on. So yeah, they're yeah. requesting that I speak online. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think most schools are equipped for this anyway. Uh, yeah. Bob is actually a, a teacher and uh, and we have some teachers online actually at the moment. Uh, is there, before before I let you go for your day, um, is there any advice you would say, not with video gaming per se, but 
if, if, um, if there is an issue with screen uh, on, at school, uh, is there any advice when you speak in schools, for instance, is it to parents or is there any tips that you can give to schools per se? Oh, when I speak at schools, I'm addressing parents. I go oh, through parents. parent council. Yeah. Okay. I mean, teachers attend, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm addressing parents usually. Now they're asking me to start addressing students. I have addressed students. Mm -hmm. The problem is they don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> you mean and there's not enough they don't that. want to hear it from some middle-aged woman either. <laughs> <laughs> How about, how about your son uh, speaking in schools? Well, he, he has done some speaking, not yeah? in schools. He's done some uh, speaking in mental health, but he's a software uh, developer, so he's pretty busy. Yeah. He doesn't really have time. Yeah. I hope, I hope he's not developing video game, is he? No, it is not. No, <laughs> no. It's a maintenance software. <laughs> However, he does uh, attend game jams where he does, uh, they give them 48 to 72 hours to build games. And Ooh. he still does create video games. He just doesn't <laughs> play them. He gets somebody else to test them out. Right. Because he loves the creative side. Yeah. Very, very uh, reasonable of him to do that. <laughs> it's, and it's not easy to go from a, a video gaming addiction to then be working on screens all day and, and learning yeah. how to manage your screen time again. <laughs> I imagine, I imagine, yes, yes. Mm. I have to, before I let you go, I have to ask you one question. Do you yourself play video games? I do not. I did okay. with my kids. I, I wasn't very good at it. I did dabble in video games with them. You know, I tried to play Wii bowling and Wii tennis uh -huh. and things like that. Um, yeah. What's the one with the guitar? Um, the oh. Singing. Yeah, guitar I know the one you mean. Yes, yes. So I did play that a little bit. Mario Kart, those kinds of things. I just wasn't very good. Yeah. Um, so no. But I watch them. I watch sometimes. Um, we get online uh, because they don't live with me. Uh, we'll get online. My eldest son absolutely loves to cook. And so we will set a screen up on Discord in the kitchen and, and we'll be cooking and he'll be cooking in his kitchen. We'll be cooking in ours and we'll be sharing uh, recipes and talking about what we're cooking. And then we will sit down at the table with the screen and we will continue our conversation while we eat our meals yeah. via screen. And yeah. then we'll play then we'll play trivia games where we don't require because my son, youngest son will be joining us. And so out of respect for him, we don't play video, any kind of a video game uh, around him. And so, yeah, we, we, we do trivia questions because we are big time board game and card game players. <gasps> We've always been a game kind of family. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we just get somebody else to roll the dice for whoever is on the screen and away we go. Yeah. I like so that. we're still, we're still helping. I mean, we're still loving that we have the ability to meet on screen because we can't get together during the pandemic. I mean, there's great benefits to having it. For sure, for sure. But well, no, yes. I, don't, I don't play video games. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the same. I'm more of a, of a board game person as well. I love playing games, but I have to say that, yes, when you spend a lot of time already during the day on the screen, it's nice to have a break and play with friends and family on something yes. else, something a bit more Absolutely. natural. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I that's agree. I played tennis this morning. <laughs> exactly. That's the real, that's the real world. Thank you, Barb. She's gone now. Well, thank you so much, Lane. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so grateful that you shared your story, your insights. Uh, I learned a lot of things myself. I hope the audience learned also. 
there'll be more people watching the replay. And uh, since we'll be putting all your details there and also the link to your book, people who want to know more and learn about how to tackle this uh, tricky topic, <laughs> they'll definitely get all they need from you. So thank you. I'm so grateful. Thank you for your time. Thank you for coming. And Great. all the best. I'm so sorry about my screen and the lighting. Um, I, That's okay. I've had some issue around here. So <laughs> thank you so much. And all well, the best for, for me, your, your book and everything. Thank you. Thank, thank, you. thank you, Elaine. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thanks for bye coming. Bye. Take care. <laughs> bye bye. Take care, too.